Welcome, everyone, to the CavsCorner.com podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the palatial Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, May the 17th. Uh, wait, it's, no, it's not. Why did I say May the 17th? Oh, because I updated my uh, calendar app on my computer and then turned it off, and for some reason it always defaults to May the 17th. It's not May the 17th. It's June the 1st. Uh, which means that we are officially in summer, um, whether we like it or not, um, which means that we are closer to football. Uh, so the off season is chugging along. Uh, we got we got a podcast lined up this week, and then we'll, we'll take next week off because I'll be at the uh, Publishers Conference down in Atlanta, um, where I'm, I'm sure lots of things will be discussed, as they always are, ahead of the uh, five-star challenge. Um, and then we'll get back to – I think we're going to start uh, welcoming some of the um, – the, the fans shortly thereafter. Uh, but that is not tonight. Tonight we are going to talk about football recruiting. We're going to talk about satellite camps. Uh, we're hopefully going to give you all kinds of fun hot takes. Not really. Uh, David Spence is not on the podcast tonight. Something about a shipment and he had to work like in a real job or something. I don't know. Lame. Uh, but we do have staff writer Justin Ferber on the show. Justin, welcome back, sir. Yes, sir. Glad to be back. That's all I got. That's I, it. I mean, I, I, can, I can give him a Twitter handle. Yeah, why don't, you do, why don't you give the people that? At Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for our in-game updates, content items, and the occasional uh, witty banter. Uh, I, I think it's funny that like people don't – like. there are probably some people that think that that, that was like serious. Like you really – like they don't get your shtick. Um, all right, so football recruiting is, is going to hit – I think is going to hit the pedal pretty hard uh, here in the not-too-distant future. Um, Virginia made the top five for four-star defensive end Jordan Williams out of uh, Virginia Beach. Um, they are in the final two for three-star offensive lineman Cole Bentley, who announced tonight on Twitter that he will commit on June the 12th, so not in the too-distant future. Um, I, I, it's interesting to me because May, June, July are always the time that Virginia historically has gotten a lot of uh, hay in the barn Right now, sitting at six commitments, it seems like things are trending in a positive direction in a number of recruitments. But I kind of feel like fans are a little bit antsy. Um, you know, it's it's funny to me um, with a new staff. I mean, you kind of have to you kind of have to assume there are going to be some some times where you kind of roll with it. And I wonder if uh, some of the angst we're seeing um, on the board is related to just folks. You know, they just want. They really, I think a lot of people like really like Bronco and they really like the staff and they just want to be successful, and they would really love to see him have a top, you know, top ten recruiting class, which is great. But that's kind of difficult. Um, I, I feel like patience is something that they're going to have on the field, but in, it's the off season. There's not much to talk about, so there's kind of there's kind of angst. What do you what do you think, man? Do you think that that's where a lot of that 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 uh, is coming from? Is yeah, it, just, just you enough? know, people are waiting for those commits to drop and. It's a you know you got to kind of let the process play out I guess. Oh uh, snap! He, he, I mean, he the dropped same, it. The, the same thing happened when London was here. Um, you know they would have these stretches where they wouldn't have a commit or they'd have two, right. and then um, I remember it was the thir- 2013 class, the one that had like Lachasse and Smith in it. Um, mm, right. I was actually writing for another publication. We're at not the gonna time. talk about that. Right, but um, <laughs> friends of the show. And, um, Friends of the show, right? And and I just remember having to do. I was in charge of recruiting, and I remember it was like commit, 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 commit. It was like back to back to back to back. They, I think, in a week they had like eight. Yeah. So I mean, I think 
once kids get out of school and have the opportunity to take more visits, I think that's when the parents get more involved in the process and kind of get a chance to meet some of the coaches and see campuses and um, and what have you. So I think that's when things will heat up a little bit. Uh, also, you know, we talked about this a little bit off the show the other day, but um, each kid, you know, they have their own process that they have to right. go through, and and I, you know, you don't want to rush that and. They they probably aren't as anxious as as some of the fans are about you know making sure that everything gets settled. But um, I I promise you I feel pretty good about the fact that UVA will have a full class of, of kids yeah. come next February, and that's what's really important. Yeah, I mean the thing is interesting to me is that camp season historically has been you know for, for when Mike was was the head coach, uh, camp season was an opportunity to get people on 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 grounds for for visits really you might have a younger kid who comes to a camp and you're like okay like i remember andrew brown came to that camp and it was a big deal that that there was this phenom kid who was like two years away from really getting into recruiting and he was going to be uh you know in town and that was like a big deal but in the latter portions of i guess of mike's tenure the the camps in june and july seem to become more of like a i don't want to say a uh like a place for people to just visit, but they weren't necessarily like you, you would have an occasional kid who would earn an offer. Right. I think Malcolm cook blew up at a camp once, but like you really realistically, a lot of those guys that kind of already had a feel for with the new staff, you, I think you are going to have guys who are going to come to these camps and earn offers. And you could see some real, um, you know, a real flurry of, of activity. And I think Bronco, I feel like he, he was, was, was he talking to us like a during a presser? I don't remember the specifics but i feel like at some point he talked about that like normally you know they will have had kids who went through camps and so they would have an opportunity to evaluate those players and then watch them during the season and see their you know see where they developed and then make decisions on offers so they're they were kind of behind the eight ball for the 2017 class this was this was going to give them the opportunity to get right for the 2018 class but those camps in june are for this group is going to be I think a little bit more different and I think that some of that they've got like uh they've got them all like in a very like small amount of time it used to be they were like one a week throughout like one there was like one or two and then they would have a few weeks off and they'd have one or two more this year they're going to do one um the one day camp on like the 17th um I think the seven on seven tournament and the big man camp is like the next day um, I think there's a specialist camp like sometime the next week and then another one day camp before the end of the month. Um, and so like it could be a flurry of, of commitments. You know, it could that could be the way it plays out. I think, too, is that, um, you know, the, the question was asking me on the board the other day and, and, and that was more of in terms of basketball. But I look at football and I wonder, too, if like you do have a flurry of kids who decide in the spring, but then you also have a lot of guys who wait, um, whether they want to take official visits, whether they just uh, – they're not ready to kind of focus on recruiting. Um, and it's going to be interesting because for a lot of these guys, uh, if you're UVA, you kind of want them to dis- to wait. You want to you want to show them something on the field, right? I mean, isn't that kind of the – I mean, you would rather a kid give you the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, yeah, they're going to be good. But realistically, like, for a lot of these kids who have, you know, for the primary the entire time they've been recruits, like, Virginia has been bad. And so you kind of would rather the new staff have a chance to put something together on the field, you know, win the opener, go out to Oregon and, you know, uh, make a little noise and then see what they can do thereafter. You would rather them, you know, have a chance to to see what you're like on game day, to see to see how the to see how the fans respond to it, because I really think that's going to be an interesting piece of of the fall as well. You know, what's the what's the game day experience like? What's the what's the fan 
uh, interaction like? Are they, you know, are the kid, are folks coming to the games again? Are they waiting to see a winner before they do? Like, I kind of feel like if you're UVA, in a lot of ways, you want kids to wait. So the fact that they haven't necessarily, you know, that the that the prospects aren't jumping off the board, um, I guess, isn't necessarily a bad thing. The flip side of that, to me, in terms of like the way that the recruiting landscape looks for UVA, is that like if you look at the number of it just it seems like to me every other day there's a kid that's decommitting from somewhere um and i'm wondering if like there's been this you know because players are 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 more visible than ever because recruits are more visible than ever and because they get a lot of attention earlier now in the process you know they they commit and then you know you're talking weeks later and they that you know and nothing has changed nothing fundamentally no there are no coaching changes i mean everything going on at baylor makes sense that those kids are flipping but like you have these guys who have been committed for a few months a few weeks whatever and then they decide to open things back up and you wonder you know what did you just not go through enough of the recruiting process to kind of get your fill like is there something is there some specific school out there that that has your attention so it seems like to me there are a lot of kids now who are either there are obviously going to be a lot of kids who make their decisions and stick by them. I think the problem with with decommitting is always we think like, oh, there's more of them. No, there's not. There's always more kids who just pick their school and you never hear any noise about them again. Um, at least as far as recruiting. But like, I feel like in a, in a lot of ways, you know, there just are a lot of kids that are waiting, and if they're not waiting, a lot of them are jumping back into the waiting pool. Does that make sense? Like, kind of just feels like that um, in terms of. I guess where the board is right now for, for 17. Yeah, it, it's, a uh, you know, um, they're definitely, I guess still going after some kids that are committed elsewhere and you never know who it's going to open up. But I agree with everything you said about, um, kind of giving, if I was a recruit, I would kind of want to see if I was going to commit to a new staff, um, I would kind of want to see them do something on the field to kind of show me that they're not just talking. Um, the good thing for Bronco and his staff is that he has already demonstrated a level of success and competency at BYU. He's not a new coach. He's not a coach that had like you know one good season at a lower level or something like that. Right. Um, and so, I mean, I think that's a good thing. But yeah, I mean, everybody's gonna have to kind of see it to believe it, especially these kids. I mean, when's the last time you know? And especially if you're a kid in, let's say, you know, Cole Bentley, where he's in Kentucky. So like. You don't. I, I seriously doubt he remembers UVA's Chick Fil A bowl run in 2011 either. So, I mean, because like, True. if you, unless you're a UVA fan, like, how are you going to remember that? So, um, I think you know, wait and see approach for recruits is going to be something that you're going to see this year. And then, I think if they can demonstrate some success this year, I think that next year they can kind of maybe hit the ground running a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the other thing too. Is that like, if you as you look at 17. And the way that this the way we always talk about the way years stack up, right? Seventeen was going to be a rough year for Virginia because of two reasons. One, there's a lot of really good players in the state that were going to get lots of national attention, um, and these are not we're not necessarily players who were going to be looking to stay close to home. Um, and if you look through some of the top, you know, top ten, fifteen or you know, so players, there's a lot of guys who are going to be end up going out of state. Mainly, that's because Virginia, Virginia Tech both kind of sucked. Um, the flip side, I guess, of that is that you, when you have a new staff come in, that's that's great, you, and you generally you get a bump. Um, you know, sometimes that bump it comes sooner than others. If you have something to sell, if you have lots of playing time, let's say you're an NFL coach and you're able to come in, maybe you're maybe you're somebody like Mike who could come back in, and and all of a sudden, 
you know, you're like, oh, this is the, you know, I'm, I'm recruiting places that I've always known. You know, you're a known commodity to high school coaches. That helps if you're outgrow and you're able to come in and sell the NFL and get into the league and such and such and such. That helps. But for this staff, their, their selling point is they know how to win, but they haven't done it here. And so for a lot of these guys who are, you know, now, you know, on their board for 17, you know, there's still a, a feeling out process, right? The thing that's really going to help them, especially if they win on the field this season, is going to be that the 18 kids, the kids that they will have evaluated through camps, uh, you know, through the through the season next year, or I guess in the fall, those 18 kids are going to be guys that they know very well, and are going to be guys who uh, you would hope know them very well. And if you can win, if you can put together a bowl season, like that's, I mean, it, it's sad to say, but like that is the key. Um, it, it's, if you ask, if you ask me to to, to put a you know uh, some kind of forecast on it, I, I think I really do think Virginia has a, has the capability to reach a bowl, especially. Um, you know, since it seems like their quarterback situation has been uh, very much uh, steadied of late. But if you want to ask me, like, what does that mean? Like, that's the difference, I think, between a top, a top 10 recruiting class in the conference next year and not. And if they, get, if they win and they recruit well in that class, even though they have some deficiencies that are going to take some time to kind of iron out, like, sky really is the limit. And I'm not saying that as somebody who's, you know, Virginia Homer who thinks. No, I'm saying, like, in terms of, like, if you look at the blueprint with Tony Bennett and his basketball program laid down, that Brian O'Connor and his baseball program laid down, you win a little bit, you recruit a little bit, next thing you know, it, it kind of snowballs. Football can, can be, I think, a little bit more uh, rewarding in the sense that the postseason is a very low bar. And so you can make the postseason and – for some reason, that actually will resonate, even though the post quote unquote postseason is not that big a deal. I mean, it's like it's because like, there's no playoff really. So right. I mean, there is, but let's be honest. I mean, most of the kids that are being recruited, unless they're a five star or somebody like Jordan Williams, uh, is they're probably not going to play in the playoff and don't right. and kind of know that I'm sure right. when they go to somewhere. If you're committing to Duke, you're not committing there, so you can go win a national title. Uh, I right. mean, not unless you're illogical, um, but <laughs> I mean, it's just the way it is. I don't think UVA right. is going to the playoff anytime soon. So, um, you know, it's kind of like the, they kind of, it's like, well, a bowl's a bowl. So, uh, you know, if they can get back to a bowl, that that's respectable. And then maybe we can jump up a notch and win a conference title and, you know, whatever. We're doing something special here, so on and so forth. So I think that, you know, that's the bar. Whereas like, if you're a, a basketball player, especially nowadays with basketball recruiting the way it is, you're kind of like, all right, well, I mean, if they're not a tournament team, which a much lower percentage of basketball teams make the tournament than football teams make bowls, um, then you're less likely to want to go there, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, that make, yeah it does. And I, here's the other thing to me. Um, I kind of feel like if – let, 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 all right, let's do this. Let's let's say best case scenario for the seventeen class, right? Your best case scenario is that you're able to have a nice foundation, uh, maybe even two thirds of your class already done, already locked up, and that the season comes around and you're able to win some games, maybe maybe exceed some expectations, and then you're able to make the postseason, and you're able to pull in, you know, you're able to close strong. Okay, so let's say the last, you know, 
two three months of the actual of the actual calendar 2016 and then the first month or so of calendar 2017 are just gangbusters for you right so you finish out real strong you go into next spring both with a strong 17 class good basis for 18 you're building off of you know sending virginia back to the postseason for the first time since uh the first obama administration um okay then you're able to really, I think, get some traction with some 18s. And you're able to really start to say, hey, listen, this is something you want to be a part of. And so what's interesting to me is that you could actually have a very good recruiting class in 17 and make a bowl game, and your bump doesn't actually come until 18. I think that's kind of got to be the blueprint because in a lot of ways, it's kind of like the first few seasons of what you know Tony and the basketball team tried to do, right? You're trying to put together, you're trying to put together some wins – to basically get get the to get the thing rolling, um, and then you infuse the talent that gets rolling in a big way. But with football, because like I said, the postseason is such a low bar, you can do all that. I think in a smaller amount of time. I still think it's interesting that Virginia somehow is. Look, the top. I think the top offensive target is is Makai Becton. Um, I, I think the top defensive target is Jordan Williams, and they seem to be right in the thick of it with both of those kids. I think that's. I mean, that's kind of impressive to me. I mean, you're talking about kids with, you know, two dozen offers, easy. Um, they make Jordan Williams' top five. He just picked up an offer from Alabama, you know, not that long ago, and they're not even on his list, um, which kind of blows my mind. So I, I kind of feel like, in a lot of ways, Virginia is, is primed for a very strong, you know, 17 class. Is it going to be huge and great? Probably not. I mean, they'd have to really make some significant noise in the fall. Um, but even by that point – the amount of bigger fish on your board that would need to be still be out there would 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 probably be outside of what I'd call realistic, but I mean I think they can have a really solid year, address some needs, especially if they can pull in a you know three, four defensive linemen. I think that's really the the difference. I mean they got a nice start on the offensive line so far. They've I think they're they're they've got some you know obviously they're in a really good spot for Becton. I think they're in a good spot for Spees, uh, the kid from um, Greensboro. I think uh, when you look at you know, it's probably at this point you have to think Virginia is the likely uh, destination for Bentley. That's a really strong offensive line class. You know, with Fanning and 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 you, I guess you got to consider Cohen in there too. So you're if you address some of those needs and you and you're and you're already I think in a good spot because you do have some really talented players. I mean, Jermaine Crowell. Um, I mean, I know he's a legacy and all that, but like that kid is really good. Um, and there were a lot of people out there who were just determined he wasn't going to Virginia. He wasn't going to follow in his family's footsteps. So I mean, you can do a lot in this uh, in this scheme with him. So I kind of feel like 17 is in a good spot. They've already got their quarterback locked down. Um, you know, they've already got, I think, one of the better running backs in the region uh, in Atkins uh, who fits, you know, what they want to do. Um, obviously, there's still some some fish out there they, they got to pull in, but I think it's a good start. I, I mentioned uh, earlier, I mentioned camps, and I mentioned kind of went through what Virginia's going to do in June. One thing I didn't mention was satellite camps, and and I kind of want to get into this because it's one of those topics we haven't really touched on, I think, at all in, in the uh, in the podcast. And I guess I need to do some educating too, because there might be somebody out there, just in case there's somebody out there who doesn't understand what satellite camps are. So there was a whole brouhaha. Let me let me play. Uh, um, uh, what's the what's the term? Uh, um, descriptor in chief or something like that. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. So, satellite camps essentially are an issue that really boiled over over the last, what, six, eight months. Um, 
it's all it's all John Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh's fault. So so basically, satellite camps. The idea is that you will have a camp that is away from your campus. Okay. So for in Virginia's instance, right? Um, Virginia's going to be a part of a camp at ODU on January on June the 9th. Um, they're one of I think four, maybe five power five schools. They're going to come to ODU. I know Maryland, Michigan's coming, Maryland's coming, and I think Penn State's coming too. There might be somebody else I'm missing. The idea being that it's a way for your staff to be able to see a whole bunch of recruits in a specific region without having to ask those kids to come all the way to your school. So smaller schools, this is great because the lure of the big offer, you know, to Michigan or to you know Penn State or whoever, brings all the kids out there, and then you're able to not only you know, not only are they able to perform for the bigger schools, but you're able to to see all these kids. And so basically when the big schools decide who they do and don't want, you're in a position to basically have a much better look at it. And a lot of the smaller schools like ODU uh, swear by this. Like they, they would like, they were crushed when the NCAA decided that that they weren't going to allow this anymore. Um, The ACC and the SEC had actually opposed, you know, these being offered um, and they had actually banned their members from, from, from being able to participate. Um, schools like Michigan had really already started to, to, I mean, Michigan's talking about going to Australia, right? I, I, th- I think I heard that. The bigger, the bigger takeaway for me is th- the reasons why, <laughs> the reasons why these schools were against it range from anywhere between, um, you know, realistically, we're not really fighting other, other conferences. We're fighting our scale or, you know, it's basically just us fighting each other. Two, coaches don't have enough time off, and this is bad for their quality of life, um, which it's hard to, you know, I understand it's, but it's like, you know, it's one day, man. Like, it's one day. It's not like you're, you know, you're not going to be asked to ride a bicycle, um, you know, from, from city to city. I mean, you're, you're going to probably, if it's a flying destination, you're going to fly. If it's a Also, trip, if it's that bad, just just take a day off. Yeah, right? Just send somebody. I mean, you're not, ha- I mean, who's the lowest man on the toilet pole? Make them pr- pull straws. The thing that I have a hot take on, okay, I don't know if I can still call it a hot take. I, I aired it on Twitter like months ago, but I still don't understand, okay, why this is such a big deal. Like it just does not make any sense to me why it's a big deal. Um, so you are an SEC, you are an SEC school, and all of the best players. I think we all kind of kind of agree the best player, best football player, best talent right now is in the Southeast, okay. You're an SEC school. Michigan wants to come hold a camp. Okay, so, like, le- what what what's going to happen? So they're going to see a bunch of players. Do you think that they don't have they don't have the internet in Michigan? That they don't have huddle? <laughs> like, do you think that they're not like, like these kids aren't sending them aren't reaching out to their coaches on Twitter? That they're not finding out who these kids are? They're not watching their film. Like, does anybody really think that like that Harbaugh is going to come and watch some kid from like? Baton Rouge and be like, oh wow, I would never have seen him if I hadn't come to the satellite camp. Who's this? Who's this Leonard Fournette? <laughs> right, exactly. Like you really, I mean, because that's the other thing too, right? Is like if you're Alabama, I mean, Nick Saban is like beside himself about this. Like he and well, he also has- like when's the last time Alabama held a camp at Alabama like like UVA does and offered a guy that had no offers? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's my point. Is like it doesn't happen if you're Alabama. You're not taking some no name kid who just happens to come to your camp and blow up. Now maybe you track him you know but you're not gonna take him that day you know you 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 have the pick of the litter man you're not that's not your like why why these schools freak out about this i just don't understand it doesn't make any sense to me like 
If you, are, are you really seriously telling me that you're worried that these kids who grew up in Georgia, who grew up in Louisiana, who grew up in, in South Carolina, that they're going to go to Michigan? Like, they're not. Like, they're just not. Like, maybe one or two, okay, sure. But they're not going to, like, flock away from you. They're just not. And, and the thing to me that, that I still have just not been able to get over is this idea that, like, one – that you really get a lot out of it, because I don't think you do if you're Michigan. But then, two, like, why are the other, why does anybody, who cares? Like, this is the, this is like one of those things that, like, people cannot stop talking breathlessly about, and yet, I just honestly don't see what the big deal is. Now, my fix on this is simple, and I, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but I'll say it now. I have no idea why the NCAA has different rules for football coaches than they do for basketball coaches, Right? Basketball coaches are able to go on the road. Sometimes it's three times, sometimes it's four times, whatever whatever that evaluation period is. But they're basically able to go on certain weekends and and watch AAU games, right? So you're able to go to Nike UIBL when it's in, you know, this weekend. And then obviously Nike and, and, and Under Armour Adidas, they all understand that those are going to be open weekends and they make sure that they have big events scheduled in. So basically what you have is coaches going to evaluate players that they already know about. Because anybody who's playing on the EYBL, pretty sure schools are already pretty much, you know, they, they know who you are. They get to go. They get to see these players. You get to be seen, which is obviously a big part of recruiting in general, right? You want to, you know, you want somebody to see you there um, so that they say, oh, yeah, you know, coaches come to all my games. You're able to go. They're able to see you. and They're able to play. You're able to evaluate into the, into the discussion, right? There, the same thing exists in football, Right. Uh, this weekend, or excuse me, next weekend, the five-star challenge and the underclassmen challenge. There's no reason that the NCAA can't just let all of these coaches come sit at the Georgia Dome and watch all this go down. There's no reason that the coaches can't go out to Oregon for the opening, right? Lot talented players, whatever. Rivals does a series of, of regional camps, right? You, so you go to Charlotte, you can go to New Jersey, you can go to South Florida, whatever, and you can see a whole bunch of players. And at those events, the liter- literally, the thing that you do to get invited, you don't pay, these are not pay events, right? These are situations where the kid gets an offer and then we say, you know what, you're the, you know, you're, you're a player who's going to play at that level, come to the camp. There's no reason that coaches can't go to that. There's no reason coaches can't go to Nike's events. They do similar camps. Like, it's right there. The whole thing is boom, right there. You don't need satellite camps. You don't need to take the Michigan operation to to some part of Florida. You just need to let the coaches go on the road. Put the onus on the coaches, right, to travel wherever they need to travel, not make it this whole big event, right, and then just let them see the, see the thing with the infrastructure that's already in place. Like that to me is the easiest, you know what, it would take five seconds. Put a calendar together and say, you know what, uh, football coaches can have 10 different evaluation visits, and here they are. Here the, and, and then let, let rivals in Nike and whoever else wants to have a camp, you know, put those dates together, and that's, that's all you need. CZ working pretty well for, for, for basketball, um, which I know for a lot of people, like AAU is like the devil. But, um, you know, it, this, this is a way for them to see a lot of players in a lot of places um, and not have to be, you know, asking, asking the – you know, so much of other schools. Now, I guess the downside of this is that, like, you wouldn't get, if you're ODU, you wouldn't get the draw of these bigger schools. Or if you're a smaller school, you, you don't get the, you know, the general draw. And I guess I can understand that. But, again, you had so many people, like, so in up in arms about this because it was like, oh, this isn't good for the recruit. And I'm like, 
True. What would be good for the recruit is for the schools to basically all come to the same event, right? Because they're going to be 150 players, and not, and they're and they're and those 150 players are going to be able to play for you know to perform for what 70 schools or something, you know, probably that would come to a regional camp. Well, I, mean, I also don't want to hear all this crap about what's good for the recruit from people who refuse to pay them. Yeah, that's true, and that's my other thing too. Is that like, don't talk to me about like, oh, well, that's hard for the student athlete. First off, yeah, we're looking out for the student athlete, right, but exactly. we're making them play like you know on a Monday night uh, basketball game in Syracuse, and then play on Saturday, and then play on Monday again in Raleigh, and then you know all this other cra- you know whatever. Like, give me a break. Yeah, unless you're in the Ivy League, you know where they play Friday night Saturday. Um, the that's it's just a farce. A farce. Good word. Um, I want to I want to say one thing real quick on we talked about Alabama's recruiting class earlier. So right now in 2017, Alabama does have one player that currently rivals has, does not have rated, but they have one three star, one two three four five six four stars, and one five star in their class. In 2016, um, Alabama <laughs> signed one two three four five six seven eight nine nine three stars, and everybody else was four star and above. That's all you need to know. Like they're not take they're they're not there. There's nobody's gonna like show up to some camp, blow them away, and they're gonna take them that day. That's just bleh, not gonna happen. Um, to, I I think the interesting piece also along with the satellite camp discussion is the idea that coaches like want time off, and Bronco said something interesting um, during his the la- the very last portion of his. Uh, I guess, you can't really call it a press conference when it's on a football field, can you? When he talked to members of the media following the spring football festival, uh, he mentioned that he basically gives his staff the entire month of July off. That like they'll come. That basically they're on the road for a few weeks in, in May, in June they're doing camps, starting the analysis of the however many opponents. He's doing analysis for finished up analysis of the spring. They're starting to move everything forward, and then basically everybody's gonna be out in July. And I thought. You know, that's actually really smart because, like, if you think about it, they really don't have any time off, right? You go from the season, right, then you December. You're supposed to get some time off, but you're probably not because you're recruiting, and then you're trying to finish up your recruiting class. And then once you do that, you don't have that much time between signing day and the start of spring ball, and then you've got spring ball. And then after spring ball, you've got the, you know, the visit season when, you know, you're running all over the world. And then as soon as you turn around, there's camp season, and then you got you know if you got satellite camps you got to go to or what nonsense. There really isn't much time off before you get back to training camp. Um, so I kind of like the idea of giving them some time off, and I'm not trying to say that like that like coaches are overworked and therefore they deserve. I'm not talking about what they deserve. I think if you just think about what's good for the team, I think it's good for them to to unplug for a little while, just like it's good for the players to have some some time where you know they're unplugged too. Um, everybody needs a everybody needs a little bit of time away, especially when you work the kind of hours that a lot of coaches work. I also think it's ridiculous to say that oh, well, we can't have satellite camps because that puts too much pressure on your coaches. You know what? Stop. Like that's dumb. Like, do coaches need a downtime? Yes. Do we really need to not have camps because of that? Probably not. Like that that to me that dog don't hunt. Um, I, I appreciate the idea. Like I said, I like the idea of giving your coaches some time off, but there's no way that you can't have the thing covered um, without everybody not being able to go to satellite camps. I don't know. Um, so I guess satellite camps are at least for now a thing that's going to be here to stay. But the one piece about the whole NCAA brouhaha 
that fascinated me was that nobody seemed to care that they were also lifting the ban for so now coaches can text like unrestricted. And I like so much conversation about what's good for the student athlete when it comes to, you know, offers and opportunities, but no talk about like quality of life. Like basketball coaches can text unlimited, but there's like three of them plus the head coach. Or excuse me, four three of them plus the head coach, right? Like they're not getting text messages from six coaches. Like like that's just to me is a whole other other thing. I don't know about you, Ferber, but like if it was if I was a high school recruit and I was getting recruited by I would not want anybody to have I, I like the NCAA saying, No, no, you can't no you, you gotta limit the amount of like text messaging you can do. I mean they can already get you you know, however much they want on Twitter. Um I I don't know. I thought to me that was a thing that probably should have gotten a little bit more burn but didn't. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about what's good for the recruit, um, <laughs> they need some downtime, you know? They really uh, do. I mean, I think that the way that they do it is kind of arbitrary with, like, you can text them on this day, but not on this day. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard. You know, the NCAA, it's hard for them to monitor all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I think <laughs> if you just look at the amount of mail that some of these kids get, it's, it's a little absurd. Um, it's got to be... I mean, we've talked to recruits, I know you have, I know I have, who just sound burned out with the whole process. And, you know, maybe like looking back on it years from later, they might be like, man, it was kind of cool actually, you know, going through that process. And and I think a lot of fans kind of think like, what's the big deal? They're getting courted by all these different schools. I wish I was in that position. But it becomes overkill. I mean, you go to school eight hours a day, then you got football practice or whatever you're doing. Then you try to have a life and you have homework. And then also you have to deal with all these coaches that are, you know, like trying to put pressure on you and um, sell you something. Basically, I mean, they're basically selling you something. So, um, something that you're ultimately interested in, but at the same time, it's got to be a little bit much sometimes. Yeah, this was uh, this was one of those things. I think it was. I think it was banned in 2007, um, and I guess football was one of the last. I guess because because basketball had already kind of taking the lid off of it so i you, you're right i, I mean i don't and then, you know this is the, the part where i have to be a hypocrite but like in addition to coaches you've got all this media right there's more people covering recruiting now than ever before um you know what i mean and like i i, I don't want us to have to you know stop doing what we do but at the same time like i also understand too like the kids have need some downtime you know um and then at the same time it just makes sense to me that that they would that the NCAA would keep that in mind, and I, I guess I I just I don't see what need that was trying to fill. You know what I mean? Like I just don't understand. Like what problem did they think this thing was going to like? What 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 like what what like what thing do they think this fixes to allow coaches to um, to to text unlimited? So I mean, it, it, I think not, basically it's an oversight thing. Like the, it's easier for them to, you know, it's like. If your kids are like, can we just play outside? It's easier to just say yes and then not care than it right. is to watch them. Yeah, no, Does that and that's sense? a good point. Yeah, no, and that's the thing is it like texting might have been one of those one of those recruiting violations that was constantly on the table with a lot of you know a lot of schools having to either self-report or be caught. And so doing allowing them to text just says, okay, you know what? We're just gonna we're gonna deregulate this. We're just we're just gonna get out of the business of keeping track of who you're texting. Um, which I can imagine. You know, considering they already were allowed to 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 message, you know, electronic like email, 
messaging on social media was not considered texting. And so they were allowed to do that. Um, I do think, though, that one of the th- one of the byproducts, and it certainly it certainly bites us sometimes in the in, in our business. But like one of the byproducts of like these kids going through recruiting in a time when, you know, they've we've never had, you know, they've never had more people covering them, is that they get hip to this really quickly. Like they, it doesn't take long before they're like very un- under like they know who they want to talk to and who they don't. And you know, sometimes you have these kids that just do not answer messages. They don't they don't pick up. They don't do interviews. They just don't care. Then you have these other kids who are just great at it. Jordan Williams, for example. I don't know if we've ever reached out to him. Uh, and he hasn't uh, been more than willing to talk to us. And always given us really good stuff. But I think that a lot of these kids are impacted by the by the way that they are recruited. And so they are, you know, they're doing the best they can. Sometimes that means sometimes they're okay with it. Sometimes it depends kid to kid. Some recruits are okay to talk to you, you know, every other week. And some recruits just don't want to talk to anybody ever. Um, you know, you just you just get what they if the if they put it on Twitter or whatever, you get that. Otherwise, you better be working sources. Other, I I kind of appreciate that because the NCAA clearly, you know, doesn't want to be in the business of having to, you know, to deal with a lot of this stuff because it's one of those things where people are just gonna screw up, and so they don't want to have to keep dinging people and following them around and you know keeping track of it. So the NCAA isn't gonna protect them; they got to protect themselves. And you know, hopefully, staffs are not abusing that but i man i can i've heard some horror stories on the basketball side um you know like the night i guess there's a specific day that that they, everything goes live and so you have these kids that are getting these text messages at midnight and it's nuts um i just know that if for for me if i had a if i had a son who was going through the recruiting process you text my kid endlessly every day constantly 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 yeah, maybe you don't have to worry about paying for those texts anymore because of the modern day uh, telecom arrangements and such. But you know what? Like that shows me that you do not have any boundaries, um, and that's probably not going to be a good look for you. I, I do th- find it interesting that a lot of these schools that everybody thinks is cheating eventually get caught with for something like Ole Miss. You know, they had these great recruiting classes. And you're like, how the heck did they do that? Well, that's how they did that. Um, so it, to me, it's it, it it's like parents and guardians and coaches and whoever helps these recruits through the process they they i guess we're gonna have to call on them even more uh now to because they they will be inundated with with text messages but at the same time like i said i i, I thought it was interesting that the, everybody was all up in or, up in arms about the camp thing but nobody seemed to be wanting to really talk about the text messaging thing and i thought the the latter had a much bigger impact than the former you know, I know there's look, there's probably there are probably kids out there who who genuinely were able to get a scholarship from somewhere because schools knew that there was a big fish coming to a satellite camp and therefore they came too. Um, but I really do believe, man, huddle and everything. I feel like if you want to be seen, you can be seen. Um, you get your you get your film out. People are going to see it. Now, maybe they don't see you in person and they don't weigh it as well. Uh, they don't weigh film the same way. But to me, I just feel like there are lots of avenues for it. Um, I, I, I don't know why it became such a thing, but it certainly did. And it's not, we're not done with it. I don't think, I think we're going to talk about it a lot. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if anything comes out of these different camps that, um, you know, different schools are, are holding. Um, I think that's a good place to, to put it, a pin in it. Um, unless, uh, you have anything else for the good of the order, Ferber. No, I think that's about it. Uh, <laughs> Kurt, Kurt Benkirk and the football. Oh my gosh. Camp. Okay. Yeah. Let's touch on that real quick. So I, 
I hope if you're listening to this podcast, that probably means you're one of the more uh, tech savvier. That generally seems to be the case for most of the people who listen. But so I, ho- I really hope you 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 watch that clip, um, which I haven't been to the board in the last like hour or so, so I don't know if he's taking it down. I'm always worried about that when I embed something. But anyway, yeah, let's just post it in the uh, in the thread for the podcast. Yeah, there you go. So what happens is is basically he's on like one knee, and he throws this football from the twenty. It looks like the twenty to the basketball goal, which is behind. It's in the corner, be out, out, out of the back of the end zone, right? And he throws this thing from his knee through the hoop. I mean, huh, that's nasty. Like arm strength one, accuracy two. I don't care if it took him thirty times to get the thing on video. Like if you did it once, I'm impressed. Um, then he did this other one, which he where he like kicks, he like puts the ball between his legs and he kind of kicks it up in the air, catches it, and then does the same thing, moving to his left a little bit. Um, not quite as impressive. But still impressive. Um, that first one, though, whew, that that uh, that was impressive to me. What what was your immediate reaction when you saw it? My immediate reaction was I was like, oh, I guess this is going in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he's not going to put that up there. If it's- right. No, um, I can't tell exactly how far away he is, but the thing that kind of got me was the velocity on the ball. Yeah, he spun the hell out of it. Yeah, especially the one from the knee. I was like, wow, like got a cannon um so i mean uva probably hasn't had a quarterback with an arm like that in a while so that's interesting so uh i mean it's just something fun to kind of pass the time in the summer when there's not really much going on but still interesting to see uva oregon 10 30 kickoff that's another thing oh that's right yeah 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 that's right so are you going i am that's the plan lord willing the creek don't rise Loudest stadium I've ever been in. Yeah, Ferber claims that it looks like a. It sounds like a like a plane taking off. Yeah, it does. It's small, but very like per per person, it's the loudest place I've ever been. Absolutely, and at times in the game that I went to, it got very, very, very loud. That would, you know, I like the I like the idea that it's going to be like a a, a a the late game because all the folks on the East Coast would be moaning and complaining. <laughs> That's always my. That's always fun. I'm like such a, such a weird person when it comes to stuff like that. I always like to hear people like the thing that makes everybody complain. I don't know. It always makes me laugh. It's not bad for exposure though. Really, I it's mean, really not. People, it really people is. people that really like college football will be up on the East Coast watching. Not to it. mention, interesting enough, I think about all the people in a certain portion of, uh, the you know, Utah that might want to watch this game. Yeah. Just saying, um, I imagine that the numbers. The numbers for that game are going to be interesting to see um, because it'll be the first opportunity for, for folks out out west to really get a view of, of Bronco and his staff out east, even though they'll be out west, and now I'm confused. Um, so, yeah, I'm, li- I'm looking forward to it. Um, going to hopefully make a little bit of a, a trip of it, um, go up a day or so early and kind of enjoy it. But I do like the idea of getting you know your whole Saturday, um, which should be fun. The, fun, the, the only part I don't like is – Having to catch a flight back at some point early enough Sunday so that you don't get t- back too late Sunday night knowing you're going to have – I mean, maybe they'll change up uh, media day, but it's been Mondays. Yeah, that that flight back is kind of rough. And Eugene's airport's kind of – you're probably better off just going to Portland. I'm sure this is really exciting for the viewer. Yeah. No, no, but I'm listener. guessing there are people that might be genuinely considering going out there. I mean, it's a once right. in a – you know, I don't – I mean, when's the next time Virginia's going to play in Eugene? I don't know. Yeah. Um, Ever? I mean, I, I went out there and people kind of told me that it was a kind of like a Charlottesville West. Uh, I wouldn't quite go that far. Uh, 
just for anybody looking to go. It's definitely a much bigger city than Charlottesville. I mean, they have like a legitimate downtown, but um, it's pretty cool. I mean, obviously different culture out there. Uh, the weather weather will probably be pretty nice. When I went out there, it was around the same time of the year, and it was nice and cool. Um, pretty good tailgate atmosphere. Their stadium is actually kind of on the other side of a bridge away from the rest of the campus. Um, kind, like in kind of where, you know how UVA has like uh, JPJ, Clockner, and all those stadiums right next to each other? That, that's kind of how they have theirs set up too. So like it's kind of cool to be over there. Their football facility, it's connected to Autzen. And it is amazing. Uh, I definitely recommend checking that. I mean, if you're at the stadium, you can't really miss it. But the thing is, I mean, if you saw that and then saw the McHugh Center, you would think there's no chance that those buildings have the same functions. Like, it's insane. I uh, While you were talking, I just went ahead and watched the, the Ben Kirk video again. All right, so the first time, he's definitely got his right knee on the 20-yard line in the indoor, okay? And the basketball goal is clearly... It's all the way up on the other side. Yeah, it's on the back wall. So you, I'd, I'd call that it's at least 30, if not uh, probably 35 yards, okay? The second one, I didn't notice this until... I always thought it was the same shot, but it's not. It's actually deeper because you can see the um, uh, that the he's moved to the... You can see, like, you can see the hash clearer. In the first shot, you can't see the hash at all because he's inside of it. So he's actually across the field. So that one, I, I'm guessing he's on the same yard line, but he's across the field. So I would say that's 40 yards, not 45. All right? The other thing I find interesting about this, there's only one football on the ground. Okay? So he hasn't tried like eight of these unless he's gone back to pick each one of them up to make it look better in the video, which I guess technically maybe is possible, but very unlikely. So now suddenly that second one is a little bit more impressive. Um, because if you think about it, he's hitting a 10-foot goal. So it's not even like he's dropping it into a bre- you know, dropping it over a receiver's shoulder inside the no no, he's throwing the crap out of that ball. Um so the more I watch that thing, the more I I would love to know how many views he's got of this. Um how many of them were just us watching trying to figure out like the logistics of it all. Um clearly going to be uh, an interesting fall with this kid around. Um, but yeah, back to, sorry, back to Oregon. I, I'm very excited to go. Um, I know that from, from my conversation with you, I've, I've kind of set my expectations about what it is and what it isn't. Um, I've had, I've been to a few big stadiums. Um, Tennessee continues to be the one that just blows me away. Yeah. I've been to, I've been to Knoxville a few times, definitely like totally different atmosphere, but it's the similar sound. Yeah, it's it's weird because like I went to a game against Marshall, and I don't, what year was that? Tennessee wasn't that great. They were, weren't bad, but they weren't that great. And I feel like they, at one point in the first half, there was like a big play that Tennessee made. I don't remember what it was. And like, because I was there with my cousin who went to UT, uh, and my because my aunt and uncle live in Knoxville, and like it was the first time I like the thing the place just started to kind of move a little bit and I, I it's the only time other than being at Bristol um when I've been genuinely afraid for my safety in a sporting event like I was like all right this isn't cool actually no I take that back I I did I do feel that sometimes when I'm in um in Raleigh at a basketball game cuz they're just crazy but but that was the first time, like, just genuinely, like, a, the structure around me was huge, and it moved a little bit, and I was just like, whoa. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what, what Oregon has to offer. I'm interested to obviously see 
what the Cavaliers could do out there. I, I it would be it'd be pretty fascinating to watch what happens if they can go out there and get a win. Um and what that can mean for for everything. I mean, it's funny because Oregon is not what Oregon was, but it still would be huge. You know what I mean? Like it still would be pretty massive. I'm guessing UVA will be like a you know, 12 and a half, 13 point underdog in that game. Um Yeah, maybe more, honestly. Well, but I so, mean, I don't I, I don't think Oregon is what they were, but that's a really tough place to go. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, I think that is a good place to, to put an pin in it, as we've now randomly talked about Ben Kirk's uh, video and obviously Oregon being the 1030 Eastern game on ESPN uh, that night. Should be should be a fun uh, start to the season and certainly certainly will be something we're looking forward to as we try to get through the, uh, the summer months uh, leading into fall camp. But appreciate everybody out there for giving us a listen and always supporting the podcast. Appreciate Justin for being back on the show and hopefully – whatever that massive shipment of bats or whatever it was that Dave got into the store got sorted correctly. And he, uh, isn't laying under, I do, I do like this mental image of, of Dave underneath like 350 bats, um, that just <laughs> opened up some huge box and <laughs> rolled all over him. Uh, so hopefully he'll be back. We'll, we're, like I said, we're going to skip next week cause I'll be uh, in Atlanta, but we'll be back with you the following week. And we're going to start to, to bring on some of those, um, um, fan slash subscriber, um, appearances will start to roll out. I've also got a couple of other ideas in the cooker for podcasts for the summer. So should be should be good as we lead up into football season when, when things get back on a normal sort of schedule. But, again, thanks, everybody, for giving us a listen. Thanks to Fervor for being here. Uh, and thanks uh, thanks to Dave for, for not showing up, um, <laughs> which I only throw in there because I know it will drive him crazy. So for Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher, CapsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.